0: Hello, and welcome to episode two of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Well, we made it to episode two, but actually, we're recording this straight after recording the first episode. So we have no idea what the reception was to the first one. Maybe people hated it. Who knows? Remember, show at linuxafterdark.net if you want to get in contact with us, and linuxafterdark.net support if you want to support the whole Late Night Linux family. So the question that I've got for you this time is, what is the responsible way to introduce people to Linux and fast? And what I mean by that is, surely you don't just say to them, wipe your only laptop and put Linux on it and you'll be fine.
1: I think I have the reverse case for this where you shouldn't do it. I have a client because among all the other things that I do, I also do individual computer support. Don't ask. It was a long time ago. No, I won't help you as well. But thanks for asking. So this client is an older gentleman, and he's an accountant, a CPA in the U.S., and he uses a software called Peachtree. And not only does he use Peachtree, which has now become Sage 50 for several years, he uses Peachtree 2006, and he's looked at Sage 50, and he says, nope, don't want to use that. So my entire time with this man has been keeping this install of Peachtree that he's had since you know, 2007 running on a computer in 2021. This week, we were talking about there was an update to Windows 8 and 10, which is supposed to fix print nightmare, you know, for the fifth time or whatever, but actually doesn't. And it does that by blocking some older print functions in the older drivers. Unfortunately, The way that we've kept his version of Peachtree going is just converting his old Windows XP machine to a virtual machine and continuing to run that. And that uses the old print services that are now getting blocked because, you know, security. So I considered, at least for a moment, telling him, well, there's this cool thing called GNU cache and it looks exactly like your Peachtree 2006 and you'll probably set it up the same exact way. But then again, We found a copy of Peachtree 2006, brand new in box, on Amazon for like 600 bucks, And he said, well, it would probably cost me a lot more to learn this new thing than to just pay for that old software and we'll try our best to get it running and to pay you to get it running for me. So that's the opposite case where you shouldn't try to get someone into open source.
2: Yeah, I have a bit of an arc with this, I guess. I do IT support. Like Dalton was saying, I do it for lots of individual people and a high percentage of those are running something they can buy in a shop that comes on a machine, so Windows or Mac OS. And so for a long time, I would only install Linux for family, really, and family that I would be around so they wouldn't be billed for onboarding them. Which helped, so I didn't just nuke their only computer and go away. I installed it and was around for a number of Q and A sessions. But more recently, I have installed it for clients who've asked, and it's a difficult one because dual booting isn't necessarily actually helpful. It can introduce more problems than it solves, and ideally. My experience has been helping foster a sense of discovery is really helpful because trying to quickly cram in this is the equivalent of Windows doesn't quite work for me. It hasn't worked for me. It's better, I find, to approach it as this is a slightly different way to use your computer that has lots of benefits and talk about the benefits and differences. And often the benefits are why upfront before i talk about what you lose so i also have an accountant client who needs a specific tool from hmrc and just my liability gets affected if i install linux for people and then it turns out they can't do their job <laughs> like i guess you know hmm. have to be very wary of that so i i don't tend to strongly suggest it to my clients but yeah i think onboarding is really important now in an ideal world that would be a combination of face-to-face sessions but then obviously I would be billing for that time with people. Now that could also be a possibility for the other operating systems but people tend to just muddle through I guess. But also a, like a buoyant community and well-written documentation can help with that process as well. It is tricky, you know. I don't know if I have like a definitive answer of the best way to onboard them but i definitely don't think just and i've got friends who've done this to other people you can't just install it and then give the computer back and go yeah everything just works just just use it <laughs> it's exactly the same it'll be fine i find that might put people off although i i think three years ago installed ubuntu mate for my wife's cousins they're three uh sisters i didn't really give them any onboarding And I hadn't heard back from them. And I had just assumed, oh, they're probably not using that laptop because it was one of many in the house. But recently, they wanted to show me a YouTube video when I was at their house. And they said, oh, we'll plug the computer up to the TV. They got an HDMI cable out and out comes the laptop, which they're using all the time and have picked up. And it's got multiple user accounts and they generally get stuff done on it. So it is possible.
1: That's such a good feeling.
2: Yeah, because I hadn't asked about it. And yeah, I just assumed maybe they have lost interest. Now, the thing is, as well, it was because it was more than one laptop in the house, that's another thing. I think if it's the person's only computer, their main computing device, that, again, would lead
3: me to tread carefully, I think. I guess the flip side of that is that so many people's main computing device isn't their laptop now. So mm. as long as they can get online on their laptop and open a browser. Most people are just doing that and doing a lot of the rest of their computing on a mobile device.
1: Yep, absolutely. I've successfully moved a bunch of people over that way, mostly family friends at this point. Yeah. There are people who just want a cheap laptop and I don't want to do all of the support work with Windows for them because I have all of the tooling to do remote support with Linux at this point. That's like, I I'll just do that. So mm. I install Most of the time, Ubuntu Mate on their computer. They just use Firefox and Thunderbird, maybe, and they're pretty happy. My dad's one of those people, and several family friends are. Mm -hmm. I tried to get my brother to use Ubuntu uh, on his main computer after I gave one of my old computers to him, but eventually he just wanted to play Star Wars Battlefront and it just didn't run under Proton, so it's like, well, It has a Windows license. If you can figure out how to install Windows, here's the media. I'll help you with it, but I want you to do this yourself. And he figured it out.
3: Yeah, I've had a similar experience with a couple of friends where I've given them a Linux machine. They've just needed something to use for a few bits and pieces that they couldn't do on their phone. I've just given them a machine with either Ubuntu or Ubuntu Mate on. And on more than one occasion, I've gone back a couple of years later and they're still using that machine. Have they patched it? Probably not. Have they done a disk <laughs> upgrade? Almost definitely not. <laughs> no, But it is still trucking along and running and doing everything they need to do. And the only real times I've had someone come back if they've needed some kind of proprietary piece of software because people are either doing most of their computing in a browser or on a phone at this point.
2: Yeah, I have to say I would echo what you said there, Gary, for the family that I've installed linux 4 that's usually the same story for me i've given it to them and given them a bit of opportunity to ask but then have very rarely been asked for help with that machine and exactly the same whenever the next occasion is that i see it it hasn't been updated um (laughs) at all moment of panic yeah even though i set it's always a Mate for me that I, I set up for people. I set it so that the updater dialogue comes up right. <laughs> and says, you have updates available. Would you like to apply them? And people just close it. it. Yeah, always click cancel. They always click cancel and then they get behind. And that's one of the reasons why I, I kind of shy away from maybe something that if left for that long might introduce a breaking change because there's too much yeah. of, of spinning plates going on. So that, that's why I prefer it like that. Um, one thing I would say as well is the, the people recently, usually I've given a specific version to people, but the clients recently, two of them have come to me and said, can you explain to me what Linux is about? And I've taken like a multiple boot USB, but I was very careful not to show them too many distros or desktop environments because I do feel like they have asked you, so you put them on the path that you know and they join the path where you think they should join it. And then hopefully, because that's my own personal journey, if they develop an interest in it, then they might think about changing the distribution and come back and ask me about it or change it themselves. But there are also very many people that never do that. They're, they're happy and they just continue, and they're actually not really interested in the how. It's just that it does work. And I should report back from these two clients because I haven't been back since I installed it for them and see how they've got on because I haven't had any calls. They haven't asked me for help at all. And I'd just be interested to know whether that means they're using it happily or they've just not used it again (laughs) since I set it up for them.
0: Yeah, they just gave up and went and bought a Mac or something, maybe. (laughs) But surely you should be installing unattended upgrades for them.
1: I do. I certainly do. And you can set it to install every package separately. So if they shut down their computer or power it off when they haven't actually finished installing updates yet, which they do, uh, it doesn't break everything.
3: Yeah, I I tend to set up unattended upgrades. But like recently, I went back to a machine that I'd set up for someone that was still running 14.04 <laughs> because I just haven't seen them in the last two years. And I hadn't really looked at their laptop before that. So although it's obviously until the end of support for 14.04 was happily installing security updates, when the box popped up that said you need to move to 16.04 or 18.04 or whatever, they just closed it because don't know what it means. The computer still works. I
2: think it's also a byproduct, at least in my experience, of having lost that in Windows because prior to 10, you could more easily click i don't want to do this now and gradually it's crept in that it just happens and it's still i don't care what people say with windows (laughs) my wife was working and had set her working hours to never update between 8 a.m and 7 p.m and in the middle of a zoom meeting her machine restarted and went to a blue screen and it was like a proper feature update
1: oh one of the hours long ones
2: luckily i am who i am i've got like 10 laptops here (laughs) Quite a few of them with SSDs, so I just pulled one out, booted Windows, and put her straight onto Zoom, and she carried on. But these two people that came to me recently—that was the, the number one reason why they were coming to me—is still intrusive update mechanisms. So the ability to click cancel is is loved when
1: it comes up. So I think that's why they're they're just going, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that now. That's why I specified that my client in the beginning is on Windows 8 or 10 because he's actually using 8. <laughs> I put Classic Start on it, so it looks like XP and he he's happy with it, but I don't know what to do when we have to go to 11. I'm so afraid of that. It's quite hard because
2: I bet sometimes people have been put off by the wrong attitude being directed at them. I know I have. If We go way back, right? When I first started running Mint, which is what I started on. Mint? What's wrong with you? You should be using a proper distro. This is it. This is exactly what happened. So I, I was using Windows 7 at the time. I was getting fed up and I tried SUSE for a few times and I just never managed to get it going. And Mint was the first time I'd installed Linux and managed to get it working. And gradually I learned a bit more and there was a bug with, it was the early days of Pulse. So the speakers popped on boot and shutdown. And they didn't with Windows. It was just the way that they were powering on and off. But gradually, I got used to it. So then I got a box that was on twenty four seven, which had Plex on it, I think. And I installed Mint on that. And then I joined IRC, which I hadn't used very much. And I joined Hash Linux on FreeNode, and I was having a problem. And I was like, "Oh, I've got a media server um, at home with Plex on, um, and I'm running Linux Mint, and I've got this problem." And I put the problem, and like five people were like. Are you an idiot? Linux Mint's not a server distro. You're doing it wrong. You should use a proper grown-up distribution like Debian. And I was like, right, okay. That this isn't a very friendly place or very helpful at all. And I, I sometimes think that, like, when you have a lot of knowledge, and I'm not, I'm not immune to this. I'm sure I've done it. You get defensive or, or jump to these assumptions. And I think sometimes, especially if you don't know the person, that's not great because. There's another version of that world where it'd be like, oh, I've done it wrong. Uh, just do something else now
3: or <laughs> just get completely put off. I was that person, I think, say, when I first started running Linux, I set up a headless machine with Ubuntu on and was trying to configure Samba. And I couldn't get it to work. And I went to someone I knew that was a Linux user. And they were like, oh, why are you running Ubuntu? Like, if you installed Gentoo, this would all be fine and I could help you. I was like okay, I'm just going to install Windows on this machine and just do right-click share and gave up. So what about for someone who's quite technical and interested
0: in Linux because of privacy reasons, let's say, and they want to check it out, what advice do you give them? Would you say try it out in a VM first or a second SSD maybe or dual boot or just go for it?
1: I mean, if they're really technical, they probably have another laptop.
0: True. But then that's not their main device. And so they're likely to use it less. I mean, I'm thinking specifically of Kyle, my friend who was on Late Night Linux Extra about a year ago, something like that. And you know, he was in that position. He wanted to try it. And he did install it on a secondary laptop, but he just didn't use that laptop because that's not his main PC. And so it was only when he took the plunge and put it on his main computer that he actually started to use Linux.
2: One thing I would say, and actually this has come up this week for me, Booting from a USB SSD is not that bad and avoids the cludge of dual boot because if they have a machine with a reasonable um, UEFI BIOS and you just bash F12 and select the boot device, it means that if they turn the computer off, they can unplug that device and then the machine will boot into Windows if they want to. But if they're fairly technical they can work out how to hammer f12 and boot from a usb device and that means they can physically choose when linux is available to them that's actually a method i use on old iMacs because i'm not cutting glue off them and going inside them i'm just not doing it because i know that i'll return it to the clone and the front glass will fall off and smash it's just my luck so i often with those machines if they've got a usb 3 port i clone the os to like a Samsung USB 3 SSD and you get four to 500 megabytes per second which is more than good enough especially if you're running Linux and that's a good way if they don't have more than one machine for them to still try it and use it on a machine that they're familiar with while still having the full back and it doesn't require a desktop machine with two physical drives in the same way it is these USB SSDs are tiny and It's not the long-term setup that you're going to want to have. But if that person then says, "I, you know what, I'm never booting into Windows, you just clone the contents over when they're ready to get rid of Windows, which is a situation I found myself in if I go back to the beginning. It got to the point where I was like, I just don't use Windows anymore really at all. And I'm ready to... Make the
3: full leap, I guess. Yeah, I ended up struggling with the dual booting scenario for quite a while. And it wasn't until I was really disciplined with myself and just went cold turkey and said, I'm wiping all the drives in this machine and just installing Linux. And if I can't get it done, well, I guess I just won't do it. That I really switched full time on the desktop. Mm -hmm. But that's not a luxury everyone has, right? Not everyone's VPN for work will work on Linux or random proprietary application for accounting will work on Linux, but it's probably in a pretty privileged position.
1: Yeah, same for me. I had a problem where Windows 10, right when it came out, would sometimes just stop showing the start menu. And the only solution was a reinstall that I could find. It happened to me three times. I had to reinstall Windows thrice. I was just like, you know what? That's done. I'm done. I'm going to install Ubuntu GNOME. Because yes, I was still a GNOME hipster, even in 2015.
2: (laughs) I think it's funny, though, because I've come back round, I do dual boot machines, and I'm thankful of that now, because it's taught me quite a lot about repairing that when it goes wrong. But that would have put me off a lot earlier on in my journey, I think. Now I can deal with it when it happens, and it's not so much of a problem. Also, I've noticed that Windows doesn't hose, or hasn't recently for me, doesn't hose things so that you can't get back into Linux. But yeah, the, the stuff I learned about repairing that situation developed my knowledge. I think some people will go further and further down the rabbit hole and some
3: people won't, I guess, as well. That's important to think about, I think. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because back in the day for me, like I had a similar thing where I had a single disk in my machine and I reinstalled Grub or Lilo so many times that I could do it with my eyes closed. And then eventually ended up, it was back in the days when you had to compile and install the Linux uh, NVIDIA driver by dropping to the TTY. And just doing that stuff, I think, made me more and more curious about what I could do, like having to drop to text mode to install a graphics driver, I guess made me realize that there is more to this thing than wobbly windows and desktop cube.
0: Well, we'd better get out of here then, but we'd love to hear your thoughts on anything that we've talked about. Show at linuxafterdark.net is the email. But until next time in a couple of weeks then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. And I've been Dalton. See you later.